eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Sunday, May 9th. We are talking this weekend about the hot housing market. We've got a great guest. Go listen to yesterday's episode as a little tune-up for today. Maria Fregosi, she's the Chief Financial Officer of HomePoint Financial. In this second part of our interview, we're talking about the new way that people are shopping for homes. And is this trend of people leaving cities actually going to be sustained? How can we build diversity in the housing industry? All of that stuff. And we're also going to end with a bit of home buying mistakes to avoid. Here is the rest of our interview with Maria Fregosi. Do you feel that the, the changes that we saw in the housing market and the way people shop for homes and um, the idea that, that a millennial or a Gen Zer might be like, yeah, I'll put a, put a, I, I did research for a story and, and they said, you know, the crazy number of millennials said, I, I'd be happy to actually bid on a home I've never stepped foot in. And that to an old fart like me seems like incredibly weird, but maybe they're right. Maybe you don't have to walk in, but I just feel like it's, you know, it's this physical structure, like being part of it. It seems so hard to get a sense of that if you're doing this virtually. Do you think that the virtual aspect of this is going to tamp down as the economies across the nation open up? I I think that the market has really just materially changed. You know, people are just Who'd have thought that they'd be comfortable making a hundred, you know, couple hundred thousand dollar purchase um, sight unseen online? But you know, that's the way that the millennials and the Gen Zers have grown up. You know, they're they're very comfortable doing that, and so it was really just an expansion of, you know, I, I would never buy a couch without going and sitting on it. <laughs> um, but apparently, you know, they're able to buy couches and buy houses. So I. I do think that that generation, it's just different um, mm. and it's changed. The question is, are they still going and getting a good inspection um, and, you know, hiring somebody to go through that house? So they may not see it, but hopefully they, you know, are able to get an inspection and don't end up with um, some problems that they weren't expecting when they close on that house. 
How do you think the trends that we are seeing about, you know, people leaving the cities and, you know, I've lived in New York my whole life and I've heard many um, iterations of New York City is dead. And by the way, Midtown Manhattan not looking very healthy right now, but Mark's on the Lower East Side. I'm on the Upper West Side. Things are pretty much bustling where we are. How do you see the trends around leaving cities, going to more space and whether or not that's a, a, a temporary or more than a temporary? What do you think? So when you actually look at at the data and deep dive into the data, there's a lot of anecdotal stories. I mean, I live in South Florida. Um, We have lots of New Yorkers who are coming down here to South Florida for a combination of tax purposes and trying to get a bigger home. Um, But when they get down here, they do realize it's not New York. (laughs) You're kidding me, huh? Really? You know, and they miss a lot of the things that they they loved about New York. And they're also finding, you know, that their dollar they thought was going to go really far is just not going as far as they had thought. Those are the anecdotal stories and everybody has them. Um, But when you really look at the data, what you see is people aren't moving that far away. You are seeing New Yorkers who may be moving to the suburbs, um, you know, they're moving to New Jersey. They're looking to get more space and more land um, because they're spending so much more time in their home. And, and I don't know that they see that changing. It's also, you know, I maybe didn't want an hour long commute before, um, but if I'm only going to go in a couple times a week or a couple times a month, that hour long commute doesn't feel so bad. So I think we're seeing regional shifts, but I, I think, you know, the discussions of, of you know, moving um, across the country are, are more anecdotal than the data supports. Um, I was just listening to a podcast, another podcast with a woman named Dorothy Brown. She was the guest. She wrote a book called The Whiteness of Wealth, and she did a deep dive into how the tax system impoverishes black Americans. And one of the things she talks about is in the housing market that that actually occurs. Now, obviously the the clearest thing is, is redlining, which hopefully no longer exists, but there are also some real issues around diversity and lending practices. So can you talk a little bit about why that is so important and, and how you guys at home point have started to try to make sure that diversity and inclusion are really parts of your business practices. We we really support and celebrate, you know, diversity and inclusion both in home ownership and amongst our associates. Home point as a business has to follow all the fair housing lending rules and practices. Um, but we always say even if the rules weren't in place, it we'd do it anyways. That's just the right thing to do. But we've really gone out of our way to try and find you know, some new ways to tackle this, because one of the things that we identified is that brokers are not in some of the minority communities. So HomePoint gets their loans through um, mortgage brokers who are, are people that are on the ground doing first time home buyer seminars, working with realtors and, and really you know, teaching the home buying public about what it means to be a homeowner. And the brokers just aren't in those neighborhoods. So we partnered um, with one of the associations out there called AIM, Association of Independent Mortgage Experts, which is really a broker community. And we started something we're calling the SPARK program. And what that does is it identifies and funds people that want to open a brokerage, a mortgage brokerage um, in these neighborhoods by both women and minorities. 
And so we actually fund them and help mentor them um, to be able to, to serve their local communities. So that's the way we're really trying to get at it with a grassroots effort, because we also believe that, you know, homeownership in America is, is a real way to build wealth. And it's also a good way to start to um, redevelop some neighborhoods. I want to try to get you in trouble with your bosses. You ready? <laughs> sure. Um, I have long felt that it is completely idiotic to have the tax code favor homeowners versus renters. What is your opinion? So look, being in the mortgage industry, uh, we love anything that is continuing to um, help homeowners. When you look at the tax code, it, it, it is interesting um, how it so greatly favors um, homeowners. And really now with more of a transient you know, population and people you know, having to make decisions about where it is they want to live, I could see at some point them taking a look at that. But gosh, homeownership is so ingrained in the U.S. Uh, mindset as, you know, the way, uh, again, to, to wealth. I think it would be a hard one to actually pull out. I'm going to be a one woman bandwagon. I think it's ridiculous. I really do. And I think that, I mean, to your point, just to think about this for a second, that if you think if you really are considering like all the work you're doing, sort of diversity and fair lending practices, let's just go back in time and say, you know, when did these tax changes take place? I think it was 1951 as the home mortgage interest deduction became something because probably after the GI bill that everyone got cheap mortgages, right? And so that they could do it, right? But meanwhile, that's such baloney when you think about that you still had people of color and women who couldn't buy their own homes and were pulled, were like really pushed out of the housing market. So it just seems so patently unfair. And it would hurt me. I get it. It would hurt most of the people listening to this show. But gang, just think about it. Why is it that a homeowner should be treated better than a renter. It just makes zero sense to me, but I'm not going to crush your business. I'm, I'm sure you're doing a great job. What is it that people really get wrong when they're buying a home? What do you think, Maria, that like, where is it that you think that um, homeowners are leading themselves astray? So I think it's really important to start out by you know working with someone, a financial professional, it could be a mortgage broker, it could be a banker, um, to make sure that you're getting pre-qualified for a mortgage. You know, before you go shopping, before you go fall in love with a property, really understanding how much it is that you can afford uh, in purchasing a home. And I, I think homeowners often get wrong, not looking at all the ancillary fees as well. So you know, where you live, there's uh, homeowners associations, there's condo boards, and you know, making sure you truly understand when you're looking at a property, those all-in fees and, and what it's truly going to cost you every month to get your, your dream home. And maybe it makes sense to spend you know, less than you're qualified for. Um, to make sure that you can be really comfortable in that home. When did you buy your first home, Maria? Uh, I brought my bought my first home just a little shy of 30 years old when it was just my husband and I. Have you done lots of trades since then or have you stayed in the same home? No, we've done uh, a number of trades moving around the country. And so far, what's the the best 
piece of advice that you got from somebody that you kind of blew off at the time that turned out to be true about your house? So I would say we made um, a mistake on our first time on our first home buy. Um, we ended up buying into uh, a new neighborhood. We fell in love with a new construction house, which is so easy to do. They're so um, sparkly new with all the new and latest and greatest. But what I didn't realize other people did tell me is that you're going to be competing against the home builder who mm. is building houses um, up until they complete that community. So if you end up having to get out of that house prior to that community being finished, um, you're going to have a very hard time competing in price against that home builder because the reason you liked Sparkly and New is the reason everyone else likes Sparkly and New. <laughs> well, that was a good, fun weekend talking about housing. If you're going out to a open house this weekend or you're looking online, that's great. We wish you the best of luck. If you've got a question about anything in your financial life, send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Our music here at the program, it is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer. We are distributed by Cadence 13. And we always want to say, and I can't wait till I stop saying it, gang, wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and please do something nice for someone else today. Grit, growth, grace. That's our mantra here at the Jill and Money Show. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>